meteen één. En de voorstands zijn hier door Riaf. Oh, oh. Wow, shit, schat, McKenna. Maar jij had hem nu niet. Hoor ik hier, ga je nu geen schaam. Kom, hoor het daar even. Gaat door de vasten. Wow, als je Jimmy McDonald. Wow. Ja, natuurlijk een lachaar. Hello and welcome to the latest By the Minute Aberdeen podcast. Now on what's been a big news day for the club, we're joined by a heavyweight Dons fan and a not-so-heavyweight Dons fan. The flyweight one is Martin Clunas. Martin, how are you? Um, well, I am heavyweight in terms of actual weight, but, you know, yeah, flyweight in other ways. Thanks very much, Richard. Yeah, always with the uh, good introductions for Martin. <laughs> but the third one on the panel tonight is uh, Michael Grant of The Times, formerly The Held and formerly The PNJ, and formerly before that, The Northern Light. Michael, how are you? I'm excellent, Richard. I don't recognise the heavyweight description, <laughs> at least uh, apart from in a physical sense, but... Uh, very kind of you anyway. Tonight's news is dominated, obviously, by the decision of Aberdeen City Council to grant planning approval for the new stadium and training complex out at Kingsford. Now, we have actually been here before. Uh, seven years ago, Michael, we uh, got planning approval for the new stadium at Lauriston. The club are obviously much better positioned, you feel now, to get the funding in place to move things forward. Obviously, we still have to be subject to final Scottish Government approval on this, plus, no doubt, the appeals process. You feel there's a, a momentum behind the decision and the uh, the club's uh, position now that there wasn't seven years ago? Yeah, I, th- I think that's true, Richard. I, I must admit, I wasn't uh, surprised, really, by the decision today. I, I, I think there was... Um, it was pointing to that. I mean, we, uh, as you say, we've been through this before. It's going back, uh, what is it, 20 years, nearly 20 years of um, striving to get away, <coughs> get away from Petodri as far as the club's concerned. Two or three different locations planned. Um, you just sense that, um, you know, whether whether you supported the move or not, you just you just got the feeling that there was more... Momentum and more weight behind the club's effort this time. You know they've obviously had the kind of Aurora campaign. You know there's been a kind of steady stream of people, or authorities, or sporting bodies, or whatever, coming out in support of it. So I think there was quite a lot of pressure put on the councillors. It's ended up being quite an emphatic result, I guess, 32-9. So yeah, I mean it's. um, I know there are still. Caveats are still hoops to clear, uh, hurdles to clear, should I say? And uh, you know, 36 conditions. The Scottish government have to have to um, give it give it the nod as well. But yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think you're now talking about moving on to the next stage of this, really effectively, which is how do we pay for it? Well, yes, and that's um, ultimately. I, I know there were issues, obviously, with planning consent regarding the separate training ground um, application last time out at Lauriston, the one that was to be shared with Cove. But ultimately, it was the issue of funding that uh, meant that the approval that was granted for Lauriston wasn't taken any further. But taking a step back, Martin, I just wonder how you feel as a Dons fan, as a 
person who showed up for season tickets. Do you feel this is a, a move that you've really had a buy into? Obviously, you've had to make a choice as to whether you support or don't support the actual club's move. But has this felt like the vision of Stuart Milne as opposed to something that the club took forward in association with the fan base? Because I don't recall there being any real consultation with the support other than what was mandated to the planning process. No, there hasn't really been, hasn't there? Um, I think we can all probably say that this is probably going to be Stuart Milne's legacy, and that's why he's the one who has really been, the, been in many ways, the face of this driving this forward. Um, he wants, I think, he wants to be able to leave something, you know, a, a, a big stamp to, on, of his time as Aberdeen chairman, major stakeholder, whatever you want to say. No, I've not really felt included. I don't think there's been much consultation. I went to uh, one of the events that was down at Pitodry. I went to one of the first ones, which was. Um, which was, an, which was an eye-opener when they unveiled all the plans. Obviously, it was one of the first times that I'd encountered some of the, the No Kingsford people and also um, the more vocal and angry people who were on the yes side as well. Um, so it was quite interesting. But other than sort of inviting us along to these events to see things, there's not really, I don't think there's really been much taken on board in terms of fan opinions and what the fans would like. And I do understand that, obviously, when it comes to things like you know, what's, how the stadium's going to be built and laid out, they have said that you know, they will take on the, the opinions of fans, especially with things like um, the Don Supporters Together guys have mentioned things like safe standing. Raymond Edgar, when we're at the Don Supporters Together AGM, mentioned that they would be listening to fans when it comes to the actual, I suppose you want to sort of meat, meat and potatoes of the, of the stadium. I think it was always going to really happen um, in terms of, I, I did feel that it was probably going to get approved. You know, we've not really been given any sort of a um, chance to put our input in yet anyway. Speaking purely as a fan Michael, do you have any concerns about how this was presented pretty much as a fait accompli to the support? Yeah I do, I mean I think uh, that has been almost like the the kind of corporate position of Aberdeen Football Club for a long time, you know, I mean I, I, I think that at some level and I, and I dare say by people who aren't you know, a board that was uh, consisted of different individuals in some senses, in some cases but I think the decision was probably taken a couple of decades ago that they would just let Pataudry run down. I mean, Pataudry has become a pretty tired, neglected-looking ground, and it breaks my heart to say it and to have observed it. But, um, you know, I think that's been the case, that uh, the Pataudry has kind of gradually been run down while the club has devoted not just money, but um, its energies into looking elsewhere. Um, it is frustrating because... We've seen other grounds where we were told by the likes of Chris Robinson at Hearts that nothing could be done to, to keep Hearts in Castle and hey presto, five, six years later, they are there and they've, um, they've redesigned the ground and, and uh, refurbished the ground and improved it and made it bigger. Um, you know, we have to take Aberdeen's word for it that that was never realistic at, at Petodre. You know, certain opportunities to buy land around the club weren't taken up which obviously then subsequently put restrictions on what you could do. You know, the, the, the line has always been that to redevelop Aberdeen, it would be too expensive. You wouldn't get the funding from selling the ground to, to put into rebuilding it. And that, um, you know, the capacity would come down to 12,000, 13,000, something like that. You'd have to ground share somewhere else while it was being done. So, you know, I think Aberdeen took a decision that Petodri wasn't the future. And whether they... Whether they convincingly sold that to the supporters or not, I, I, I'm not convinced that they did, but it, it, it's kind of a redundant argument now because um, you know, the, 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 all the energy and all the commitment is to moving away 
The heart example is a very good one to use, uh, Martin, I guess, that that sense of place, that sense of belonging, rightly or wrongly, it's very important to a fan's notion of what a football club means. I mean, tonight we've seen quite a few misty-eyed eulogies to Pitordry on social media from those who actually campaigned pretty lately for it to be replaced. But one that sort of rings true, however, is from Jonathan Norcroft, who says that uh, it feels like a bit of not just a club, but the city dying. And it's a scandal Pitordry has been allowed to decay. Is that uh, a sentiment you share, Martin? Uh, 100% yes um, since this whole kind of Aurora campaign was was sort of brought up and so, tried to be sold to us, it's become more and more apparent and Michael's 100% right there yeah, it's, um, and so is Jonathan Norcroft it's a scandal how Pataudry's just been able to be run down, I mean we saw when the 2.1 guys did the documentary and we saw parts of the ground that we would normally never see um, they took it. You no, know, they took you in, and they, you got to see things like the washrooms, and then they were telling you about the offices and all this kind of stuff. It's like, well, all the all these facilities are like this because nothing's been done for twenty years. You no, know, the club aren't going to apologise for doing this. You know, yes, they should have bought the the timber yard. Yes, they should have bought the gasworks, but they didn't, and they're not going to come out and you know say, oh, well, we made a mistake. We're really sorry. You no, know, they have to try and be positive and. And, and sell this move to us. I mean, but I don't think they've sold the move very well either. A lot of people wanted to stay, um, redevelop Bataudry. Uh, there are partly are many, many, many reasons why we can't stay. I would have liked the club to maybe release you know, an A4 piece of paper with all those reasons on them, but that wasn't forthcoming either, was it? Uh, guys, I think, um, you know, I'm down here in the central belt and, uh, you know, I'm not living and breathing the kind of um, minutiae of the move that. Um, or, or, or this this entire planning application that, that that you guys have done, and people living in Aberdeen and living in West Hill and Kingswells have done. But you know, from the outs, from relatively an outside position, it, it it looks to have been very binary. You know, people are either for it or against it. Um, and I must admit, I kind of come into a, 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 you know two categories here because if you look at the design of the stadium it, it, it looks pretty good to me it doesn't look like the kind of cheapest option with four boxy lego stands you know it looks like they're trying to do a bit more than that and trying to be a bit more ambitious than that now we know that they have to be because if they build a rubbishy ground so far away from the city it's going to be it's going to kill the football club so I can see all that the training ground speaks for itself I mean I don't think there would be any division or, or any scepticism about the need for the ground and how good that will be. It doesn't look to me like it has, has an indoor pitch facility, which um, maybe I'm wrong, but slightly surprising. I wouldn't have thought that would be too expensive, and given the climate in the northeast, you would think it would be beneficial. But so having said all that, I can see all the the benefits of the, to the club and modernising us and taking it forward and, and proving the match day experience. But I don't make any apology for finding it very, very hard to, um, you know, to be too excited about leaving Pataudry because, you know, it's a ground that we grew up with, uh, that, you know, my, my father used to go, I went with him, now go with my kids and all that, and, you know, I, I don't make any apology for, for saying that, it's a very powerful, that has a very powerful hold on you, I mean, that, it's one of the things that you associate with the club, is your ground that you went to as a kid and grew up into adulthood with, so... If it comes that we've got two seasons left, two full seasons left at Pataudry, and then leaving it in around May 2020, if that is the, the time scale and they get things going, those last few games are going to be incredibly difficult to, to go to, I think, you know, because um, 
it's just going to be very, very emotional. And whilst you might not have been uh, involved in, as you say, the minutiae of the of every conversation that has been going on on around this stadium plan, Michael, you're you still have a knowledge of the city, and you still know that in terms of where this is being located in the city, you could you'd struggle to pick a poorer place. Yeah, it was funny. I was thinking about that earlier today, and, and the whole kind of match day experience. Now, when I come up to games at the moment, uh, it's from the south. So I drive up. I said, came up for the St Mirren Cup tie, and it dawned on me that I, you know I went to meet friends of mine in, in, in a bowling club actually on uh, on Orchard Road. You know, so that's where we go. And then you go down. See, we don't actually go into the city as such, but we do go to a kind of local, uh, you know, a, a pub stroke club. Um, now it's it's not going to be a hardship for me physically to get to a new ground uh, in that location, but. I am not by any means the majority of the support. You know, people are going to be coming from the city centre and everybody need to get this right. You know, they need to get the parking right. They need to get shuttle buses right. Shuttle buses are not ideal. It's a scutter, you know, and people don't need encouragements to stop going to games. Yeah. Now, I think what I think what you're definitely going to see is a, is a, is a pick-up in crowds in the first season, a couple of seasons. I mean, that's common to all new stadiums. I remember McDermott Park when it opened, they were averaging about seven, 8,000 and a 10,000 ground. Magnificent. But it tails off unless you get it right. So um, it, it's not just about bricks and mortar. It's about... Um, the, the, it is... I mean, that's a crappy kind of modern blue-sky thinking nonsense phrase. But it is about the matchday experience and about getting things right, about getting... You're, dra- you're dragging people out, out, out of the city in bad weather... You have to give them things to do. You have to give them shelter. It has to be concourses. Um, it's not just about the safe standing and the uh, and the fan zones. You've got to keep people dry and warm if you're taking them away for a long time. And you, it, in a way that doesn't quite apply to Petodre, you're almost kind of keeping them in a, in a location for a while because people are not going to just drift away at the golf club or or um, the Petodre bar. It's not going to be that easy. We've raised some points here, and I'm sure people have gone through a lot of them with their friends before. Let's move on to something that we we can be wholly positive about. Well, maybe not wholly positive, we'll come to that in a second, but the training facilities. That's going to be the first stage of a, de- a development. Uh, 50% of the funding is already in place for that, we're allowed to believe. And this is something which is obviously long overdue for a club of our size, lagging behind not just uh, the Rangers and Celtic now, but Hearts, Hibs, even Dungeon United have an agreement with uh, St Andrews, I believe, to, to train down there. And God, they have a championship club. Regardless of your views on the stadium, it's, it's surely a positive, Martin, that we're finally going to get bespoke facilities Admittedly, not all singing, all dancing. I think Michael raised the point about uh, all weather facilities. I believe that's going to come later down the line, perhaps. But it's certainly not in the first way. But it is a positive that we're finally going to have uh, those in place. Uh, it's a it's a huge positive. It's you know it's what we've been desperately craving for so long. I mean, you know the barracks, you no know, Bulgownie or Seaton Park. You know, um, at times you've seen the goalkeepers doing drills on the cricket pitch at the Broad Hill. I know that there's a bit of a, it's a bit of a running joke between Aberdeen fans that they always go. Oh, you know, Craig Brown always tells the story about when he had to send Neil Cooper out looking for somewhere to train. But the, the sad fact is, it's actually true, and we kind of know we joke about it. And so, oh, the, isn't it terrible? It is terrible. It's been an embarrassment really for the club that for so long we've not been able to have. You know, we've been begging 
know, to be able to go use maybe you know, the sports village to let us know maybe they can cancel a booking and let them in there in bad weather um, or scrambling around all these places. So the training facilities are just are so, so important. And not just for the first team, you know, we've seen other clubs in Scotland that have brought on young talent. And OK, we've, you know, we've brought through a modicum of successful young players, not as much as I would have liked to see. Um, but you look at, you know, look at you know, Hibs, what, 10 years ago, brought through know five or six players that sold for decent money no hamilton even seem to have a bit of a a bit of a production line where they can they can bring up bring up some talent now and again why aren't aberdeen able to do this it's like the the training facilities are going to be vital to that and that's the kind of thing that aberdeen are the size of club where we're probably going to have to you know to, to bring money in it's going to be transfer fees it's going to be young players and this is where it's going to help well, I think in the same way that moving to a brand new grind won't make a nil-nil draw against uh, the likes of Kilmarnock into an exciting prospect, I don't think a new training facility will necessarily mean a, a shiny crop of brilliant youngsters to sell on for massive profit. But um, when you hear Derek McInnes talk about this project, it's the training facilities which he's referring to, isn't it, Michael? It's that. That's been key to him, and that's been key to the football department uh, to get, get us on the same level playing field, not, as I say, necessarily even with the likes of Celtic and Rangers, who in the league we've been competing with, but teams who are the same financial part with us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I suppose if you were going to be really cynical about it, you'd say that we might have a training ground in, what, 18 months? You know, uh, the stadium would be another year or two down the line. Now, Derek McInnes might have gone by then. I mean, you know... We, we, there was two offers to take him away last year. Uh, if he continues to do well, there, there will be other offers, and maybe one eventually that will be attractive to him. So, uh, but I, I think it's pretty realistic to think that the training ground could be up and running while him and Tony Doherty are still in charge. Uh, that is, you know, a training ground or the training facilities is, is, is the nuts and bolts for them. That's what they're doing four or five days a week. You know, the, a, a game might be just be one once a week. Um, so the training ground is really, it's effectively the office for a, for a manager, you know, that's his, uh, that's what he needs, he wants facilities, I, I saw quotes I think from Gary McKay-Steven at the weekend, just, I mean I know there's been a kind of collective effort from everybody at the club to kind of apply pressure at the council on this, but you know, so it's all coming from a kind of single agenda, but McKay-Steven was making good points about, you know, having to you know, you get on a bus and, and then you, 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 after training, you can't eat straight away because you've got to wait for everybody to get on the bus to get back to, back to Pretoria. You know, even something as basic as wanting to do an extra couple of hours or an extra hour free kicks or, or, or corners or whatever it may be you want to work on, it's not straightforward. You might not have access to the pitch at Pretoria. Um, so, you know, it's, that stuff like that is, it's incredibly simple, but, if you don't have a training ground, then you cannot guarantee that you get that extra practice time. And again, for the for the teenagers in the in the youth academy, that that, that stuff can be precious. But um, uh, no, I I think um, you know you won't. I, I'd be amazed if you hear, hear any Aberdeen fan who's got the slightest um, reservation about the training ground. Long overdue, Martin nailed it. it it's been an embarrassment, and uh, that at least has been rectified. Um, hopefully, rectified by the council decision. Okay, so that's the stadium decision. Uh, as I say, it will no doubt, won't entirely be plain sailing from this point, um, with potential appeals and further approval still to be granted. But um, it's a subject we've 
steer quite clear of talking about to this point because, you know, we're not experts on planning law and if you think our podcasts on football are boring, God knows how boring they'd be if we were to get some planning experts in. One thing, above all else, whether you're totally for this new stadium or totally against it, please God, let's make sure that we get a better name than Aurora. Anyway, on to matters on the pitch. Ibrox last week was another huge disappointment. Uh, at least before the game, Martin, we didn't get what we'd seen last time at Ibrox and a complete reshuffle from Derek McInnes of his side. He went with pretty much the same 11 that he put out against St Mirren. One change, Mark Reynolds out, Scott McKenna in. It was certainly the, the line-up that most, I think, of us wanted to see. It absolutely was, yeah. I mean, well, we spoke about it We spoke about it last week that you know, we'd like to see us you know, continue to play the way we can. Um, Unfortunately, uh, it didn't see, doesn't seem to matter down there. We didn't seem to be able to lay a glove on them, but which is again another huge disappointment. Um, you know, you look at the lineup. That's you know, that's a that was a really strong lineup we had out there as well. It just it just again it, down there it just didn't happen. Michael, the the market that we're shopping in, I guess it it means that we're buying flawed players now. The, either they're flawed because they're not consistent, or they're flawed in some other way. Are we seeing that the fact that Derek McInnes has maybe gone and prioritised a lot of good technical players that were getting players who are slightly flawed mentally? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. That's a big question, yeah. I mean, I suppose everything is relative, isn't it? I mean, you know, you, you, you could say that the same applies to Rangers and Celtic. I mean, if, if their players were better and were the all-round package, then they wouldn't be they wouldn't be playing for them. They'd be playing in the English Premier League. Um I don't know. I don't know what you're getting at, Richard. But I mean, I saw the highlights of the game. I wasn't able to go, um, and maybe you're alluding to Gary McKay Stephen having a terrific chance early in the game at nil-nil and drilling it into the goalkeeper. Whereas, what was it a month ago against Hibs, he couldn't fail to score, and, and even even against St Mirren, he, he wrapped a terrific goal into the net. Um, and you think, you know, you're just looking for him to do that. Uh, at nil nil at Ibrox, and he doesn't. Now, um, you know whether that's pressure, temperament, getting booed by fifty thousand fans. I don't know, but uh, yeah, I mean, I guess, um, I guess if 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 we could be a hundred percent sure he would score these all the time, he maybe wouldn't be in Aberdeen in the first place. The importance of the first goal again, uh, Martin. Our only two wins against them have come when we've actually scored first. It, it seems unless we score. First in these games, we just don't have the belief that we're going to pull it back. It certainly looks that way. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing is as well that they get the, they get the first goal and their tails are automatically up as well. Um, and the difference is that you know we we don't seem to have any way of coming back from it. Um, you know, and it's been that it's been like that. You know, the, the three games this season uh, where we just. No, the, it, we've we've not really shown up, and then we concede the first goal, and then the heads have gone down. And you know, I don't. I mean, I don't think Rangers played. Rangers didn't play anywhere near what you would say with always a fantastic performance by them. No, they did all right. They were decent. They passed the ball around. We didn't do anything to challenge them, um, and it was just it seemed to be that there's a maybe a lack of confidence. Um, I don't know if the the pressure of playing in front of that that crowd. Um, in the way that you say, no, if we score first, that crowd gets on the gets on the Rangers players' backs. Um, no, they score first, suddenly everybody's behind them. You know, they want no, they want to see more. They're hungry for more goals, um, and we just didn't manage to manage to get anything. I mean, like 
Michael mentions the, the Mackay Stephen chance there. It's like throughout the game, um, you know, shots were being snatched at. I mean, I think it was four. Sh- the first four chances were really hard at goal, and every single one was right at their keeper. And then, and then everybody seemed to think that their keeper had a really good game. And um, now he barely had a save to a save of note to make. Yeah, I mean that uh, thing about missing the first chance. I mean, from memory, Stockley missed a great chance in the yeah. in the game last season at nil nil. Um, and I remember speaking to Derek McInnes afterwards, and he was saying, you know, it, it, that is going to change the whole atmosphere. As, as Martin just said, that you know, it, suddenly Aberdeen have got a spring in their step. The, the Rangers crowd is getting on their backs, but of course it goes the other way. And and you know, our players have shown for years, unfortunately, that, that they can begin to wilt. Uh, in, in that um, in that environment, if they go one down, and uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, the Rooney Rooney had a good chance that, that I saw on the television, and uh, as you say, he kind of jabbed at it, and it just went straight to straight to Fotheringham, you know. So, um, although the keeper did really well, but a lot of them, you know, he wasn't having to work, he wasn't having to produce exceptional saves to to keep Aberdeen out. A lot of criticism in the past, in particular, directed Derek McInnes for such things as changing the lineup dramatically ahead of these games and not having the right attacking mentality. I think some of those would be unfair this time round, but a worst period of the game last Wednesday was from half time until the second goal. Um, in the first half, we competed fairly well. We we had some good chances. We'd fallen behind. Uh, poor mistakes made for the opening goal, I think, as well. But Part of the manager's skill set is getting into the heads of his players, surely, and it seemed that last Wednesday, Martin, we, he wasn't able to do that, in direct contrast to what he was able to do at halftime on Saturday. You know, we will never know what he said. What he says he said to them before the game or at half time, uh, but you know, the Rangers just seem to be able to exploit the weaknesses that were there in the team. Um, I feel really sorry for Andy Constein. He had an absolutely terrible evening. You know, a guy that I've picked on quite a lot in this in this podcast has been James Tavernier, and yet again he just had the he just had the run of that right hand side th- for the whole game. I've said before I'd like to see Aberdeen players running at him, attacking him and making him defend and we didn't make him do anything and that's the, that's the worrying thing where you know, we, we pick a, a, sli- a more attacking lineup, but then fail to deliver on the on the lineup that you pick you know, you kinda, we just seem to we seemed to be we were like traffic cones and the period of the game you mentioned was was absolutely right you know we couldn't we couldn't get a foot in the ball every pa- passes were just going astray and they were just they were passing through us like we weren't even there but again, the goals we conceded come down to pretty basic individual mistakes. Uh, Shea Logan, one of many, I think, for the first goal, completely loses his man at the back post. The second goal, uh, Anthony, O'Connor's, Anthony O'Connor's positioning and the way he's attracted to that ball until it's too late and he realises it's going past him. I'm still a bit perplexed that as much as we spoke last week about O'Connor being better at centre-half than in defensive midfield, Michael, I'm still a bit perplexed that a guy who's going to the World Cup at centre-half is being overlooked for, for Anthony O'Connor. I don't know how you feel about that. Yeah, it, it just kind of feels like Anderson's, um second stint has never really got going, has it? You know, he's been kind of in and out at the side and you keep thinking, well, him and McKenna were, for a little while were looking like they might be the partnership and then Anderson's out again. It, 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 there's been there's been too much chopping and changing, I guess, in the defence, and and maybe that's because no no pairing has made an exceptional case to be the first choice. But it's not ideal. I mean, I think it, you know it's it's been proven over football that if you have a settled back four that you can trust and that, and that can trust each other, then 
uh, it's beneficial. Um, but I don't know, we just seem to have a kind of half a dozen centre-halves or centre players who can play centre-half and, and it's much of a muchness and I, I've never really had the impression that Derek is, is sure who he would uh, you know, trust to, to, be his, to be his first choice back four and, and if he if he does make a decision, he, he, he changes his mind again within within three or four games, you know. Um, but as you say, Aronson could be going could be going to the World Cup, but uh, isn't holding down a place in our team. Yes, well, hopefully a step towards rectifying that situation where we have uh, six out of half, but few of them make it above six out of ten. Uh, is the signing of Michael Devlin the end of last week from Hamilton. Reports had been that he was off to Preston, but uh, Adon's stepped in on Friday to secure him uh, this window. He'll continue his recovery from his uh, long-standing injury and hopes to be back playing in the next couple of months. So presumably, Martin, don't want a second guess, but the idea would be to partner McKenna and Devlin next year. That would be a young, uh, aggressive centre-half pairing. That would be the obvious way, I think, and um, and I would just, I'd have to assume that is that is how it's going to go. Um, a big fan of Devlin. Um, you know, he's obviously been out with an injury for a while, but we've seen us have have bad results against uh, Hamilton. Um, I think the time when we had like twenty one shots on target or something, um, he he was absolutely immense in that game. So probably that probably since then, Derek's had his, Derek's had more than one eye on him, uh, wanting to get him in. McKenna is first is first choice anyway, um, and if you're bringing in another centre half, um, I, I would doubt that. As much as I like Arneson, I would doubt that he's going to be here probably after the summer. Um, I think he's probably just here here filling in and trying to get himself in the World Cup squad. Uh, O'Connor, there's been talk of you know rumours that he wants to leave. It's been denied by the club. If he's not going to be first choice. Uh, those rumours will probably strengthen. Um, so yeah, you're, you're looking, you're bringing in a guy, a, a, a captain from another side as well, which is you no, know, we've got another leader on the pitch. It's it's looking positive. You know, hopefully he can get fit really soon. I think the said will be another maybe six weeks before he's able to pay, play. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a positive signing. Classic okay. McInnes signing in a lot of ways, Michael. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Um, you know. Uh, Looking around the, the the SPFL and and trying to snap up the kind of best of what's available, and we don't always manage it. I mean, Lewis Morgan's gone to Celtic, uh, Doherty's gone to Rangers. You know, you're not going to get them all, but um, as you say, that it is um, it's been a, a kind of path that McInnes has gone down uh, a few times since he came to Aberdeen. I'll, I'll be interested to see McKenna's ongoing development because. You know, just suddenly in the last three, four weeks, obviously there's been quite a lot of noise around him and Hull City making uh, three bids, I think, and talk of Aston Villa. I mean, I, I'm led to believe Aberdeen won't won't look at selling him unless we're talking over a million pounds of a bid coming in. Um, if he continues to develop the way he is, uh, you know that that that's realistic. He's just signed a new contract. He's a good age. He's physically. Um, pre- pretty, pretty impressive, you know. So, I, I, I hope that I hope that Martin's right, and that and that McKenna and Devlin does become the partnership. Um, but uh, the, you know, the, the the difficulty might be keeping a hold of McKenna if if, if English clubs are sitting up and taking no, taking notice. You know, it, he, he's he's still even at a million would be a relatively affordable uh, player for a, a championship side even in England to um, to get to get. But yeah, hopefully we have him and hopefully we have the pair of them at, at least for a season together because I'd love to see us with a, just a settled 
settled um, settled the fence and then you know uh, Logan's still got a couple of years in him at least and you know I think left back does need to be looked at um, but uh, I would like to see McKenna and Devlin together well, one consequence of uh, the game at Ibrox last Wednesday was Joe Lewis's injury, uh, meaning that Danny Rogers came in, made his debut at Ibrox, and made his starting debut on Saturday uh, against Kilmarnock. And we'll move on to discuss that Kilmarnock game now. First half started quite well, I thought, but you could actually visibly see the confidence of the players just ebb away when that early goal, that opening goal, didn't come from the early pressure. Um, then again, a couple of mistakes. So Connor gives the ball away cheaply. Shea Logan, I think, should do a lot better when confronted with Jordan Jones. And we go a goal down to a deflected effort off Chris Boyd's arse. That's Chris Boyd's possessive arse, as opposed to Chris Boyd is an arse. Um, <laughs> boot off at half-time. Derek McInnes wasn't very happy with this, Martin. I'm not convinced how helpful it is, but I don't think his words at half-time would have been gentle words of encouragement either. And, uh, I think we can pretty much guarantee that it wasn't. I mean... Does it get much worse than being one 0 down to a Chris Boyd goal at half time? Um, I don't really, I don't really know. Being two down um, to two Chris. Yeah, Boyd well, goals. well, that's the only way it could have. That probably is the only way it could have been worse. Yeah, um, McInnes came out after the game and said that he wasn't happy. I think he's, his exact words were, "We didn't get much from the supporters in the first half." I think some of that might have been a hangover from Wednesday night, where people were still pretty pissed off about the Rangers result. Um, but we did. We started well, looked decent. You know, lots of. Lots of nice passing. We really, really were in kind of control. The confidence just seemed to drain away once we didn't go, we didn't get that early goal. Um, and then that just, they come in with that, you know, a couple of, a couple of mistakes in the space of one move and the ball hits off a Chris Boyd and suddenly we find ourselves a goal down. Um, and it was just unbelievable. But yeah, you're right. I think McInnes at, at half time would have been absolutely furious with them because for for the most part in that first half, despite the fact that we didn't look very confident towards the end, we absolutely controlled it and you know, whatever he said at half time really, really put it right up I and mean, they came they came out and they looked a completely you know, everybody says you no know, cliche time game of two halves, but they looked completely different in the second half. And it was an excellent response, Michael. I think, you know, we're, we're quick enough to criticise them uh, at times here, but it, it really was an excellent response at a time when a lot of questions would have been asked of them, not just within that stadium, but I'm sure in drowns around the country when it came through that we were 1-0 down at half-time, it would be like, oh, bottle's gone again. But a, yeah. a, a proper uh, roaring out the blocks job. Right, yeah, it was. I mean, if, if Derek McInnes was to leave tomorrow and you were to say what's his, what, what was his legacy or what was his kind of signature achievement, it, it, in a way it would be games like this. And, and, and what I mean by that is, you know, Aberdeen under McInnes have been a solid uh, 70 points in a, in a league season uh, sort of team. And, and, and it's by winning games like this, you know, and, and for all that it's hurt the supporters and hurt the club, uh, the players and management to... To lose a lot of the big games and uh, lose to the old firm, I, I would bet that the the win ratio immediately afterwards is pretty high. I mean, Richard, you're you're pretty good with your stats, you know. I mean, it'd be one to look into because certainly my impression is that they do tend to kind of bounce back pretty quickly and and get another run of of, of wins against against the rest. Now, of course, that's going to be frustrating, but it can't be discounted. It's still something that. Um, Aberdeen take care. They, they, they take care of business a lot in the uh, in, in the kind of in, in the kind of run of the mill league games. Now, Kamarnock hadn't lost for 
five, six games under Stevie Clark and they're a goal up, so their confidence is flying. So it, it, it did take a bit of, um, it, it took a bit of character to come back and beat them and, um, you know, the goals, uh, you're probably going to speak about McKenna's goal in a second, but, uh, you know, McG- McGinn's goal I thought was exceptional as well. Really high quality stuff. And, uh, it, so it ends up being a really comfortable win against a team that, that hasn't been losing matches. Yeah, it, of course we're going to talk about Scott McKenna's goal. Um, having played a big, big part in the equaliser, which Adam Rooney did his customary sniffer's job within the six-yard box to make sure it was uh, given. He then stepped forward onto a ball across the pitch from Lyme again and unleashed hell off his uh, <laughs> off his left foot. What a strike, what a hit. And just one of those moments to have... Witnessed in person, Martin. Yeah, just such a thrill to see that whistle into the net. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, there's some of the social media reactions. I've seen some of the fun police try and try and take the joy out of it by saying that the keeper should have done better. Like that ball was moving um, at a hell of a pace. It was moving left to right as well. There was no way, no, that he was that keeper was saving that. And you know, you could have had a better keeper than Jamie McDonald. He still wasn't getting at the speed that ball was moving at. Um, it was an absolutely just phenomenal strike, as sweet a hit as you're going to find, which is the kind of thing as well as you no. Know, somebody will say, you know, if you don't buy a ticket, you don't win the lottery. Um, but that was a, there was ability there because he hit that ball perfectly. You know, that wasn't just oh, I'm going to put my toe through it and see where this goes. Um, and it was just such a, such a moment as well. And you were right. You said you said on the Twitter page on Saturday, just these are the moments you go to the games for. There's nothing that will replicate. You know, you can see that a million times on Sky Sports News. Uh, nothing replicates the feeling of being in the ground and seeing something like that just absolutely burst in the back of the net. Even if, I mean, to add just to the kind of iconography of it, the fact that Jimmy McDonald goes wow and he's caught a <laughs> you know, it, it adds to the moment. It's it's a beautiful piece of football and that one point which wasn't caught on camera was apparently uh, when he received the ball, Chris Boyd was apparently shouting at him to shoot as well. So. Thanks. I, I, I heard that, Richard. I wonder—is that the kind of thing that Aberdeen fans would hope is true? I don't know whether it's just something that's been said and it's been picked up, but maybe it's right. Well, that was in Scott McKenna's post-match interview to Red TV. So, so <laughs> even if it isn't true, it's a, it's a hint of devilment, which I like from Scott. It's true now. So. <laughs> But uh, at 2-1, certainly the game wasn't done, and uh, we were on the back foot quite a few times. Danny Rogers had a, a slightly shaky debut. I think that there was certainly one Chris Boyd free kick, which was hit hard enough, absolutely, but it was straight down the Stoke Martin, and he, he probably should have reacted a little bit better, but he did well to get up for the uh, for the rebound, didn't he? He did, yeah. Um, no, it was, it was, it was. You're right. It was right at him, and no, it was a bit of a, a bit of a fumble. Um, thankfully, nothing came from it. Um, he had a couple, no, there, he had a couple of good moments in the game as well. So yeah, it was an up and down, up and down full debut, I suppose you would call it for him. But you know, there's enough there that you know he is a young keeper. Um, he'll certainly, you know, Lewis probably is going to be out for, you know, a, a, a couple of months anyway. I think they said so. Um, Rogers will grow into the role. You no, know, he's. I don't think they'll. Um, be looking to bring in somebody who will be first choice. I would, I would like to think that they wouldn't be anyway. Um, you know, Danny Rogers is a talented goalkeeper, um, so he should be getting the chance in the goal. So hopefully he grows into the role. Um, couple of couple of saves in the game as well that will have boosted his confidence as well. Um, so yeah, it was um, it was a shaky, a shaky first 
first start for him, but um, there's there's definitely a lot of positives to be taken from it too. But the third goal which put the game to bed in most ordinary circumstances would be waxing local about this and, and talking about little else since Saturday afternoon. Malmakin uh, doing what he was accused of never doing in the first place by closing down and winning the ball off the opposition. Wandering forward, scoring despite some of the worst sort of tracking runs by Guy McKay Stephen I've ever seen. Uh, he, he, his runs hinder us again, if nothing else. Um, ghosting past the Kilmarnock defender and un- again just unleashing a-, a fantastic shot from 25 yards out into the into the bottom corner. I wonder, Michael, did Malm again really get enough credit from the Aberdeen support first time round for what he was able to do, what he contributed? Um, I think maybe there was an element that when him and Hayes left, we went, we, we tried to kind of, there was a wee bit of denial, wasn't there, and we kind of justified it by, you know, we justified our disappointment by going, oh, well, you know, they were inconsistent and McGinn especially could be quite erratic and, you know, his shooting could be horrendous at times. But I think we're, I think we're kind of, or maybe just talking about myself, is kind of kidding ourselves on because, you know, when he was good, he was as, as close as we'll get to, to an unplayable uh, forward in the side, you know. And um, I, I just think he's a really lovely footballer to watch when he's on when he's on his game. He's got a bit of grace. He's got a bit of trickery. He's just he's just got a little bit of class about him. And um, I, I was really pleased. It was a it was a high quality goal. I thought I thought Kenny McLean made a decent run to um, to help him, even if <laughs> even if James didn't. Um, but the finish was nice, and it was just you know it was good to see him get off to a to a really good start to his second spell with us because you think you know you know the, the South Korea thing although it was brief it could have just messed him up a bit you know I mean yeah. he didn't play much out there it was a bad experience he, he had the hernia thing and the surgery and you think you know sometimes a guy's career can just veer off a little bit but it, there was no sign of that I thought on the I'm only going by the highlights guys so you saw more of them than I did but I thought I thought that finish was a, was was a, like a little bit of an introduction to say right you know here I, here I am again yeah, I mean, he'd been shifted into the sort of number 10 role in the second half, Martin. Obviously, Ryan Christie was out on Saturday. Um, Kenny McLean, a bit more unnaturally, playing wide right in that second half. And did more of the Greg Stewart kind of role, just held on to the ball, recycled it, rather than actually creating anything himself. Uh, again, a useful contribution out there. But McGinn being more on the ball and getting more involved was also, I think, key to that second half turnaround. And he, he just seemed... He did. He seemed refreshed almost as well to the point where you know this time last year he came back from the winter break with an extra spring in his step as well yeah I mean he's, he, you've got you've got to look at the ways he's coming back with a point to prove as well you know I mean he's gone out to he's gone out to Korea it's been you know it's it's not been great shall we say his spell out there so he's coming back you know he, lo- he lost his place in a couple of the international squads um, which obviously wasn't you know he'll be he'll be hugely disappointed by but now he comes back you know he's He's played. He played on um, Saturday. Scored a fantastic goal um, that will be. You no, know, and while it won't be shown as much times as the Scott McKenna one, it was an excellent goal and it will be shown quite a lot. Um, especially, you know, just just because, like you mentioned, the move, the ghosting pass to the defender was just the cherry on top for me. Really, I just just the kind of what it's what we want to see him do because we know Finey can beat people at like that. Um, so he'll be coming back as you know his tail will be up because you know, 
he's gonna he's gonna get be getting all the attention he wants now. He even spoke about in his um his interview with the guys on Alba, um, things like talking about getting back into the international international setup as well. So he'll be he'll be looking to you no know, looking to get his get his claim back and you know, he's a good he's a really good player, he's really talented and when I, you know, if Aberdeen are gonna be gonna be flying high and playing well, then McGinn you know, being in the side and Playing well is just as vital to that, and because he's just—I've I've spoken about it so many times. I think he's an excellent footballer. I love having him in our side, um, and I just—I can't wait to see more of him. Well, two games coming up this week. It's another—it's another two-game week. Ross County away and Hamilton at home. Uh, very quickly on this, Michael, uh, the expectation levels that Derek McInnes has created here, and this is a good thing. It—it it is that six points is the the absolute expectation this week, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, it's now looking like it's going to be a fairly tight neck-and-neck kind of race with Aberdeen Rangers for um, likely second place in the league. Um, Rangers, I I was there yesterday when Rangers beat Ross County in Dingwall, and uh, I didn't think Ross County offered a great deal, but my God, they're some size of a team. Like They are are incredibly uh, physically powerful. So it's going to be a battle. Um, their results have been so poor recently, and you kind of think, well, the Aberdeen of old would have been the team that they would have beaten, you know, because uh, struggling teams used to get things against Aberdeen. Um, but yeah, yeah, it is six points. I mean, that's um, that's what we're going to need. The Aki's game, looking from the outside, doesn't seem like Aki's have got any players left after this January window. <laughs> um, uh, so I don't know what kind of neck they're going to be in, but um, yeah, yeah, six points would be um, would be ideal. And yeah, that's uh, just finally, Martin, that's kind of snuck up on us, the fact that the uh, January transfer window will be closing this week. Do you see any business part, apart from perhaps a lone goalkeeper? Well, I don't see any bit. I don't see any business coming, but that's what happens in every transfer window, isn't it? That um, the club, the club, you know, quite rightly keep, keep us in the dark, and then spring something on us. Um, I, do, I doubt there'll be. No, I doubt there's any glaring holes. Um, now that Devlin's been brought in, there's no real kind of glaring holes. I mean, I think what we'll be looking at now is probably Derek will be more identifying who he might want to get in the summer. I think the squad is is decent enough. It's perfectly well rounded. We can we can argue that the cows come home about a left back or where Graham Shinney plays if you want to um, go back over that again, which I don't. Um, so I think probably we won't see much coming in. And yeah, you're right to mention this should be this should be it, it certainly won't be an easy six points. When you know, but you know, Ross County were were pretty awful yesterday. You no, know, they've lost their last three. Um, Hamilton, as as Michael says there, though I think they've, I think they've they've sold or released another, I think five players. Crawford's meant to be rumored to be the next one. It's away as well in the window. Um, you know this is Aberdeen will be will be the kind of should be taking advantage of that, um, and it should be six points. In terms of the window, Richard, I would not have been entirely surprised if a a striker, a big tall striker, arrived. Uh, and I'm only talking about a type here. I don't know any names. I wouldn't have been surprised if Aberdeen had. If Derek McInnes had tried to get one of these in, maybe on loan for the rest of the season, but I've said all that, we've now got a new stadium to pay for, so maybe there's no more <laughs> signings for about five years. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, because uh, I was going to ask if you had any transfer uh, whispers, Michael, but of course you write for the Times and they don't they do not do such vulgarities as such as that, exactly. No, correct <laughs> um, no I, I, I do know that Derek was looking or was hoping, uh, I spoke to him a, lot, a few weeks ago and he was talking about getting a striker and just to give the side that kind of option, but um, it, it, it's not something that I've seen really kind of repeated uh, in, in, his, in his press interview, so maybe that's one that he's let go, you know. 
Yeah, it's an odd one, isn't it? I mean, obviously, Nicky Maynard, I think we have to accept, hasn't really worked out. Last season, Jaden Stockley ridiculed roundly, but did score quite a lot of goals and was a very different and worthwhile option at times. And uh, I, I think that's what McInnes would still like the squad to have, yeah. Richard. You know, um, a, a Stockley kind of guy. Um, uh, you know, presumably um, not one that was going to get sent off as often as Stockley did, but you know, offering the squad that kind of option. We, we'll wait and see. As Martin says, it's very often the case that uh, these guys just get announced on Red TV before anybody else has got a sniff of it, which is, which is fun at times. So we'll see what comes out in the next couple of days. But more importantly, let's make sure we build on a good second half on Saturday and take the six points over the next couple of weeks. So on what's been a, a big day for the club, my thanks to Martin Cleaners. Martin, thank you. Thank you, Richard. And huge thanks to Michael Grant for joining us tonight. Michael, thanks. Thanks very much, Richard. Uh, that's our show for this week. We'll be back with you next week. Thanks for listening, and come on, you Reds.